Hello, and welcome to a more perfect podcast. Today, we're going to be taking a break from what we usually talk about, namely politics, and we're going to be talking about culture. Culture, a lot of people don't realize, is upstream from politics. Whatever contentious issue you're talking about to your friends, to your family today, it might be reflected in legislation tomorrow. That's why culture is so important to understand, so important to talk about. Today, we'll be covering culture in a way that really hasn't been done before. Today, I have a very, very special guest on my show. His name is Evan, and he hails all the way from the University of Florida. We'll be talking about Black Lives Matter and the concept that's been in the news a lot recently, namely critical race theory. I'm so excited that Evan agreed to be on the show because Evan has done something very, very unique. He used to be an advocate of Black Lives Matter, but did his own research and turned away from Black Lives Matter. Today, he'll be talking about his experience from inside of Black Lives Matter. We cover things such as what was Black Lives Matter like, where did you think it was, and all the stuff in between. But first, a quick word from my new sponsor, Surfshark VPN. Surfshark VPN is a virtual private network which keeps your internet activity safe from prying eyes. Support the show today and purchase a subscription to Surfshark VPN with the link in the podcast description. Without further ado, all the way from the University of Florida, Evan, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. Hey, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Sweet. So when you were a supporter of Black Lives Matter, what did you think that Black Lives Matter was? What were you told about it from fellow advocates of the movement, whether through Instagram or maybe through your friends? What did you think it was? Black Lives Matter is a very, uh, it's a very sophisticated and nuanced topic. There's, there's a lot of curveballs being thrown at anyone who's uh, stepped up to the plate. But I feel like in the beginning of the major movement, especially after the death of George Floyd, many people, myself included, supported the notion that Black Lives Matter, more so than uh, the organization that shared the name, uh, the BLM acronym. I feel like the difference between this notion that the lives of Black Americans matter and like the acknowledgement of this notion is completely separate from the organization that kind of took movement after this, after this regime. On social media and in conversation with my friends and a lot of people that I've, I've met throughout my life. I was very avidly, like, I'm very, I'm a strong supporter of justice for all who deserve it. I believe that all people innately deserve justice, equal treatment in their life. And I feel like most would agree with that. It, it would take a very sick person to disagree with that. I do believe um, it was, it was kind of taken out of hand a little bit. The notion, again, like I said, is completely different than the the organization that was creating a bunch of uh, cookie cutter posts for people to use on their site just to like uh, regurgitate like uh, statistics or confirmatively biased uh, facts and such. It it just became a lot of people recycling these ideas that they they had just found from an Instagram post or seen somewhere online or just heard about through the grapevine. And it, it limited people to what, in a sense, they could believe. Definitely, yeah. Just to be clear, you were, you were pretty much under the belief that the movement, and they call it a movement, of Black Lives Matter was, one, separate from the organization, and two, that it was the innocuous, true statement of, of Black Lives Matter and that you were, you know, if, if there was any inequality, if, if there was any justice not being served, that you were certainly going to support Black Lives Matter because Black Lives do matter. And you were, you were pretty much coming at it as, as any normal person would when they see the statement Black Lives Matter. You, you agree with it on, on face. Black Lives do matter. Yeah, I've met a lot of people in my life uh, that have gone through injustices or faced adversity based on their skin color and i feel like that is an inevitable 
concept in our country, I feel like the mean, median, and mode, especially, well, considering police brutality in America, I believe the mean, median, and mode interactions of based on intensity and outcome of a 20-year-old college, white college student like myself and a 20-year-old black college student like a friend of mine might go completely differently, interactions with police. And I feel like it's, it's hypothetical, but it's, it's almost uh, inept to, to argue that they would potentially go differently. And I feel like that is a problem. And I, I just don't feel like the organization of Black Lives Matter is keen on solving that problem. Definitely not. So you have this seemingly innocuous movement. But then you see the real issues plaguing our society. As you said, you thought that a black college student might have a different interaction with police than you would. And as a supporter of Black Lives Matter, you you assume that, that that is true. With a movement rooted in the notions of truth, what what kind of made you have doubts about the movement? If if you're being told that, you know, oh, it's just about Black Lives Mattering and oh, we're just trying to solve, you know, the problems of police brutality in America and, you know, systemic uh, racism and oppression, like, like, don't you support justice? You know, like, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you support Black Lives Matter? What, what made you wake up? It really began with polarization of the topic. Hmm. Either you agreed, you were completely for Black Lives Matter, the organization or whatever it stood for, which shifts quite a bit. I've been keeping up with their pillars and uh, what they believe on their website, and that has been changing throughout the year. Yep, It's, it's very polarizing. And if you uh, stand up to any ideas that you may believe are ill-considered, it's almost automatically stigmatizing. Like you're almost automatically called racist for not agreeing with a political or non-political organization. I feel like that is very limiting on human discourse, American discourse, and even the freedom of speech. Definitely. I feel like people that may uh, concede to other sides of the argument are afraid to do so uh, because of the the pushback that they they may receive, even if they're not racist people or have racist ideas uh, going against the the movement of Black Lives Matter is is very uh, very stigmatizing. Frowned upon? Yeah, very frowned upon, very very looked down upon, especially in like growing growing in academia. It's it's very hard to especially since everything is written down, everything is recorded. If you have an opinion that kind of goes against that, you can't really say that in class or you can't really say that in an essay because they have written evidence of you quote unquote being racist. Yeah. This leads to facades in people. Many people that did generally support the notion that Black Lives Matter ended up putting up a facade of uh, just fake alliance, or even if it was genuine alliance, they just did not know what they were supporting, and therefore just putting up this facade of, like, I'm, I'm here to help, I'm helping you, I'm doing something to help you. Uh, this is... This is very unhealthy to American society. Yeah. Yeah. They call that, they call putting up a facade, they call it performative activism. And then they call the I'm here to help you notion. They call that allyship. Yeah. In some, what, what really woke you up from this seemingly innocuous movement is the fact that you were kind of frowned upon by by disagreeing with it by by having a nuanced opinion you were called a racist you were called a you were called a white supremacist you were called all these things and, and you're like wait whoa 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 i think that black lives matter like i'm not a racist black lives matter is very close to any dissenting opinion or nuanced argument it really is this leads me to read something that is integral to black lives matter critical race theory. Critical race theory started in the legal systems, grew out of there, and permeates everything now. The movement Black Lives Matter, whether the actual organization or the, like, on-the-street thing, it's all rooted in critical race theory. They question everything that goes against the narrative. Yeah, 
In Critical Race Theory, an introduction, Richard Delgado and John Stefanik write, Unlike traditional approaches to civil rights, which favor incrementalism and step-by-step progress, critical race theory calls into question the very foundations of the liberal order. Liberal being the freedom of expression, freedom of speech, the inalienable rights that we have in the United States, not the liberal like political affiliation. Question of very foundations of the liberal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment, rationalism, and the neutral principles of constitutional law. Basically, critical race theory is totalitarian. It doesn't approve of contesting its ideas, or as you said, having a nuanced opinion, because it believes that to fight it out is to play a game which is rigged against them. And if you play the game, then you would be complicit in a white supremacist system if you did so. All of this, this awakening that you had when you were when you were advocating for the movement and then you were frowned upon, it leads me into my third question for you, which is, were you, once you turned away from it, did you ever, one, did you ever express it to anyone that, hey, this isn't everything that you think it is? And then also, did you experience any pushback once you came out against Black Lives Matter, once you took the link out of your bio, whether directly from, from your friends or maybe indirectly, maybe you're in a class sometime and, you know, the, the topic of race comes up and you say something against the orthodoxy. Did you ever experience any pushback? Um, I feel like I'm very careful about what I say mm-hmm. uh, as to avoid this sort of pushback, but I do not feel like that's how discourse should be. I feel like any sort of opinion should be considered, especially if it's researched or educated or uh, just at the very least deeply thought about, deeply considered. I, I did see that uh, it's the, the organization sort of became this vehicle for critical race theory and this vehicle for almost an illusion of progress. Yeah. Race is a very heavy topic and it should be acknowledged in a manner that there is there's no discrimination at play i feel like in instilling critical race theory and education especially of the youth and even as a topic to be considered as like oh watch out what you say it it brings race back up to the front of the mind yeah like when when you go to talk to someone of a different race you you have to be careful of what you say or you're you're wary like oh do they think i'm racist just off off the crack of the bat like it's it's very it's very concerning because it it makes you think differently than you normally would it makes it tense very tense it promotes further division as well because now like like i said it brings race to the front of the mind now the first thing you think about is race whether or not you are racist or have racist beliefs it's making things more racial than they need to be. I feel like unification among races is necessary for uh, the progression of civilization. But I feel like this method of allegedly attempting that is more transgressive than progressive. That's, I, I couldn't say, better, I couldn't say better myself, man. It, it's, it's bringing race to the front of the picture. And while there are some instances that you need to bring race to the front of the picture, because, you know, duh, it's a, it's a freaking racial issue. I mean, how are you not supposed to do that? It creates a lot of tension. And where there's tension, it creates a, a, a protective barrier. And, you know, you, you kind of self-censor almost when it didn't have to be this way. We view black people, white people, Latino people, Asian people, that like we're all at root people we have we have different experiences in the world but all those experiences while different are at root they are part of of our common human experience and that at root we acknowledge each other's humanity we we don't view certain classes of people as higher or lower than another uh, a class of people Exactly. And that is, that is one of the uh, beginning assumptions for critical race theory. And Black Lives Matter. Yeah, uh, it's, very, it's very 
classist, very it's racist in of itself uh, to just assume that there there is a defined difference between these two. While there may be societal implications in in the remnants of slavery or the Jim Crow era in America, that's one thing. But to bring it back up in the light of progress is very questionable, very ill-considered, especially since we were at a point of moving past that. Now, given there are issues and there are still continuing issues in today's society that need to be acknowledged, everything as a whole is very ill-considered to be torn down completely because then what is left? Especially if the movement of tearing this down has no leadership, has no organization, has no anything else. It's people tearing down what is at play right now. Exactly right. It's tearing down everything in our society. It's leaderless and quite decentralized. And on top of all of that, it's bringing race to the front of the picture yet again. Yeah, it's also a form of division of the people, the middle class and the lower classes especially, who are in the same class structurally in a, a capitalist society. It's, it's dividing them and making them, making each group more more easy to rule specifically or to convince of certain ideas specifically when in reality it's these classes not necessarily versus the upper class or the political parties but uh we are one like we the people we are the people of the united states of america we're not different we're not the peoples of the united states of america We're, we're all americans and we all need to be viewed as equally american yeah, this is really a root issue in all political discourse, not not just race, but but class. A, a lot of a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters, uh, de- Democratic Socialists, they formerly call themselves, they're very concerned about the wealth gap. Um, they'll they'll frequently say something to the tune of one percent of the population owns like ninety percent of the wealth, the bottom ninety percent owns you know ten percent. Those numbers probably aren't correct, but something to the tune of that. And so we definitely have class divisions in this society and dividing it by race is, is going to make it it's going to make it harder to to address those those issues. To me, the class divisions are a inevitable side effect to having a society which we have. And the real thing that we should strive for is, is that everybody is is equal, whether you are rich or poor wherever you come from in the society, that you are equal before the law, that nobody has any special privileges, that, that everybody is equal under the law. We, we, may not be con- we may not be able to control condition because it, equality of condition is impossible to attain. Somebody born in Chile in a shoebox is going to be in an unequal condition versus somebody born in a hospital in the United States. Right. It would be it's very idealistic to strive for that, which is in default, not possible. We all start from different backgrounds. We all come from different areas. And that that is something that needs to be accepted in discourse and in true progression of society, especially in such a crucial geopolitical climate where being American should be put first as opposed to being a white American or being a black American or being anything first. Uh, we're, we're all people and we're all Americans and we all therefore have something that we can relate on and something uh, in a way uh, to, to fight for, to stand on. Exactly. And it's all about, as you know, you said, we're, we're all Americans and we can't control conditions, but we can control our our laws our our government how we how we deal with it and and how we deal with it in america is we strive for for that equality under the law by the way if anybody listening to this wants to check it out i'm kind of pulling this idea from from a book that i read called called suicide of the west by jonah goldberg it's a very good book uh, random plug just to sum it up we shouldn't strive for equality we should strive for accountability equality isn't attainable but accountability is surely attainable but let's let's get back to what we were talking about uh about about the race thing 
So I really like what you said earlier, that they, that they assume that these things exist. And it actually just occurred to me, they call you a white supremacist. Um, they, they assume that we are in a, a racist system. And that's why they say black lives matter, because they're assuming that black lives do not matter to the system. They are, they are creating the assumption that whites are inherently higher than blacks and that they have to be an ally to black people in order for them to rise up. It's really cruel and an awful once you really start to dig into it. They're making the assumption that by, by virtue of being black, you don't have the agency to succeed in society because society itself is against you. As they say, systemic racism. You have no chance to succeed just because of the color of your skin. This stuff makes me so angry because let me tell you, I know I, I was taught by a black guy. Like it's just it's just ridiculous to 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 say that, you know, black people are kept down. But like like there's a bunch of black people that are smarter than I am. And it's just it just makes me so angry when when you start from the assumption that they cannot succeed because of their their skin and in my opinion that's what movements like black lives matter whether the organization or the on the street activism that's what they assume um that's why they say systemic racism you know white supremacy and all of that uh it's 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 very toxic wouldn't you agree very toxic it's very unhealthy um to our American black community uh, to put on them this narrative that based on the system that they're born into, they're not going to succeed and they need, they need the help of the whites or they need the concession of the whites in order for this, uh, this progress to occur, which is, it's outrageous. It's conducted in America. It's conducted on a local scale. It's conducted on a global scale as well. Like you see, you see uh, vaccine patents uh, going on and different like multinational Western corporations are the ones with the patents on these vaccines. And not very many of them are being shipped to Africa. And when African laboratories, which do have the technologies to produce these vaccines, are not allowed to do so because of the vaccine patents. It implies this, like a, this white saviorship on a global scale. It's outrageous to them. It's demoralizing to anyone who, who would be just an assumed victim of this, uh, whether or not they were an actual victim of an, an instance or multiple instances of the execution of like oppression, which is still there. It, oppression does happen on a day-to-day -day basis, but to say that as a whole and to say definitively that African-American people can't succeed without the entire system being torn down, it's very, it's almost crazy. It's almost delusional. Like, I don't want this to be taken out of context. Uh, there are instances of racism and oppression and remnants of slavery in America, but to say that the whole system is preventative of the, the growth and progression of a community is hegemony, I believe is the word for it. I just call it wacko. <laughs> it's, it's, that's, yeah. that's not quite hegemony. It's just, it's just freaking wacko. So if you don't mind, I want to hit on two things that you just said, because those are, because those are actually uh, core tenets to critical race theory, which is the, uh, again, it's, it's the, it's the root of Black Lives Matter. First off, I just want to say really quickly, I didn't know about the vaccine stuff. I also got to say that if we aren't sending the vaccines down there, you know who that creates an opening for? What? China. Oh. It creates a big opening for, for China and, and Chinese vaccines. And then, oh, you know, China's going to give them the vaccine. Like, oh, why don't you become our trading partner as well? We can provide you a bunch of other stuff. And then that, that creates some, some, uh, big problems as on a on a global scale as far as the as far as the United States influence versus the Chinese influence very much so that's that's a whole another issue for another time very much so very much so indeed anyways one of the things you were talking about earlier was that you're not saying that racism is dead in American society in fact you're saying that it's actually still there. It's going to be there always. There's going to be a racist dude 
somewhere, somehow. However, you don't agree with the notion of systemic racism or that there's this shadowy racism that's piercing through all of our institutions, preventing black people from succeeding just because of the color of their skin. No matter what they do, they cannot succeed because they're black. And you thought that was ridiculous, as I think that's ridiculous. However, if you are to connect the two, what you were describing was actually a fundamental tenet of critical race theory. Let me explain. Under critical race theory, they believe in something called the imminence of racism. So, racism, under critical race theory, is believed to be imminent in society, which just means it's hidden just below the surface and everywhere always according to critical race theory. Therefore, all acts of racism are not to be understood as isolated incidents by individuals or institutions, but as specific manifestations of a pervasive system that defines society. You see that they acknowledge, like we do, racism is still going to always be alive and well in maybe small instances, but they twist it and they connect those small-scale, quote-unquote, incidents with a larger, theorized, systemic issue, which can only be resolved by tearing down the system. That's why you see Derek Chauvin, when he was charged, all of them leapt at it like parrots, calling it accountability, not justice. Because it was the system being held accountable but real justice to them is abolishing the system itself. No justice, no peace. They're going to continue to fight against the system into infinity because that's what theory demands. Justice is a pile of ashes to the critical race theorists and subsequently to Black Lives Matter as well. This leads me to my next question, but I wanted to say one more thing about this. I got time. You also said something that black people couldn't succeed in society unless white people become like aware of their plight. This is another aspect in critical race theory. It's called interest convergence. And it holds that the dominant racial groups won't help oppressed racial groups unless it is in their own self-interest to do so. Therefore, racism doesn't go away, but it's just reproduced in new ways usually ways that hide it more successfully and require more work to identify in the future through critical race theory, of course. Therefore, racism never gets better. And in a sense, it gets worse over time because it gets harder to identify and call out. Racism isn't solved, basically, until it becomes a white person's problem and white adjacent people because it's not just white people. One of the freaky things about critical race theory is one of the white adjacent groups, quote unquote, are, are Jews. So the, the critical race theory is really anti-Semitic as, as well. I mean, I literally have like documents that I'll link in the source notes, by the way. Black people can't succeed until white people help them. Until you become an ally, you can't ever be against racism. It's, it's, it's really freaky how that works. And it really exposes through just a colloquial understanding of Black Lives Matter. It really is explicit theory. And it's, it's just so rooted in this toxic racist, cultish, anti-Semitic ideology called critical race theory. This leads me to my, my final two questions. So earlier I was talking about the, the, the imminence of racism and the belief that racism is imminent in society. I was taught about this in, in my philosophy class, but I want to know, have you ever in your classes at the University of Florida been taught about concepts such as like intersectionality or that there is inequity in in racial groups in america have you ever been taught any of this in your classes i've never been taught this by any of my teachers uh, any of my professors i've there's been extensive considerations for uh, uh, diversity and accountability in uh, my workplaces, which the will to do so is is admirable, but the impending ideas behind it that are driving this consideration of race are are sort of scary. 
they're not doing it because they're actually concerned. They're doing it because it's becoming a, a policy almost um, like Black Lives Matter served as a vehicle for this critical race theory to become politically enforced and institutionally enforced, which seems like a counterweight to the alleged institutionally enforced racism, whereas it is, it is equally equally as racist, equally as ill-considered. I, yeah, I've never been taught by a professor anything about critical race theory. I've seen how it happens. Like I, I did a lot of research into the the, the Evergreen uh, Day of Absence. Oh yeah. Controversy with with uh, Mr. Or Professor Weinstein. There is there's a lot of critical race theory going on and kind of taking over the institution in a way that is very very uh, ill considered. It's it's all for the wrong reasons. I feel like. I feel like people that support it, support it for the right reasons, but they do not understand what they're supporting because what they're supporting is not being executed for the right reasons. It's, it's being executed to, to basically polarize the people. There's, there's only hot or cold on the subject. You can either be Black Lives Matter or you can be racist. And there's, there's no real reputable in between. And that's the scary part. Yep. It's it's pitting Americans up against each other based on something essentially from the past. I, I will clarify like all of my ideas. I'm I'm willing to to give any clarification, any context to anything I've said on this episode. The inst- institutionalization of uh, critical race theory and Black Lives Matter as a vehicle for such is for all the wrong reasons. How have you seen uh, stuff like this uh, manifest itself at your workplace? I mean, like you said that, you know, they're doing things for diversity, for accountability, um, which you are completely correct. This is this is the vehicle. This diversity, equity and inclusion is the vehicle in which critical race theory comes in. Black Lives Matter is, is the pressure to implement it, uh, it being diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives. How have you seen it manifest itself? Can you clarify a little bit on that? For my job, we have to take um, a few certification courses and we have to be certified in certain areas. And one of the recently added certifications was a diversity and equity certification. Wow. Basically, so that it's like signing a paper saying that you support this and like you're for this. Otherwise, you you don't have the job. I think that is outrageous. I, I don't think that anybody, any of my coworkers, anybody in the the body for which I work, they express any sort of racism, any sort of oppression. I the the labor force for my job is extremely diverse. Yeah. Already, uh, before everything, like all these faux certifications or like anything like that came out, uh, I feel like none of that was really necessary at all. I I feel like especially in this generation, racism or uh, racial discrimination is not a huge problem. It's not. It's it's very, very rare to find. I've never met a racist in my life, and I live in the deep south, especially among our generation. I just don't understand. I, I don't even understand how somebody could even be a racist. It just is so antithetical to to what i believe and what our generation believes I'm, I'm totally understanding you you saying that you know your workplace isn't discriminatory at all but i gotta say that it is crazy to me that that you had to uh, sign this certification that says you deport you support diversity and uh, you support equity i am pleased to hear that that you haven't been uh confronted with with any of this stuff in in your classes at the University of Florida, that's really good. I wanted to talk a little bit about that, and then uh, and then I'm gonna ask you one final question, and then I'm gonna close out this interview. So at the University of Florida, they actually have a lot of of anti-racism, bias, diversity training, whatever you want to call it. Like a like a few months ago, they had the the university's anthropology department and invited all minority students uh, taking a, a particular course to a virtual town hall. Caucasian students taking that same course, the, the, the same anthropology course, weren't invited to the, to the town hall. Another thing, University of Florida is committing nearly a million dollars to faculty research projects focused on racial disparities in healthcare, diversity in professional programs, challenges in developing and in teaching an inclusive curriculum and strategies for creating a more inclusive campus environment, which we know that, yes. you know, inclusivity is something that is uh, very... 
it's very misleading when you talk about it in this context. You know, as you said, a lot of people are supporting this stuff, but it's being foisted upon them for all the wrong reasons. You, you might have heard something, you know, maybe walking around campus about the, the removal of names from buildings or the, the, the renaming of, of spaces on campus, maybe, a, maybe safe spaces. Have, have you ever seen any of those on, on the University of Florida's campus? I have for the calling, for the renaming of a couple buildings on the grounds that the, the people that they were named after were explicit racists or implicit racists. And I feel like if that is a part of their legacy, that is not something, that part of their legacy should not be honored in any by any means if they made a contribution to the campus then that is in their right their contribution but if that person is indeed a racist uh it should be acknowledged that the racism that they partook in or the oppression that they uh, participated in or the discriminations that they carried with them are not honorable are not admirable are not respected on the university of florida campus and I feel like once once that acknowledgement is made it, sh it should be uh, fair ground. It's not like the university has supports any of that. Yeah, no, we don't need to be rewriting history just because of this critical race theory uh, narrative. And and they're trying to. It seems to me that they're trying to remake the world around them. The names of buildings, the very like admissions in the universities, some of them are running them through a diversity counter. And if you're, you know, not diverse enough, you get rejected from the colleges. I don't know if that's a thing at UF. I actually don't think it is, but some colleges are doing that. And uh, also to get accepted for the, for a job, you, you have to sign these things. I don't think that that's, that's anything. They're reforming the world in a way in which they would like it to be. And it's just, it's, it's not a good thing. It's a really... It's a really slippery, slippery slope. And it creates all this social pressure. Very much so. It's a very slippery slope. And the social pressure is, in a sense, a distraction for the, the implementations that they plan to carry out. Uh, this, like, quote-unquote, new world order that was at one point on the Black Lives Matter uh, Pillars website that has since been changed. Wait, are you serious? It was? Yeah, when like back in the summer or back when we first talked about what they believe, it was it was on there. Basically, a, a fundamental changing of society. It wasn't a new world order, so to say, but it was in a sense a new world order. Yeah, remaking society. Yeah, it's a whole uh, concept. I feel like the turmoil was presented in terms of like calling out microaggressions, making people overly wary of diversity or the fact that there could be discrimination at play. I feel like this is very worrisome to the American people. It's very divisive of the American people. And it makes it very easy for um, explicit acts of discrimination or implicit discriminations becoming overlooked. And they're becoming uh, subverted by uh, like day-to-day -day microaggressions that they're making the people more wary about. This goes into the illusion of progress of Black Lives Matter. They've really accomplished nothing in reaching this goal of equality. All they've really done up is stir up turmoil among the middle class. This turmoil is uh, it's very distracting for American progression. Removing that obstacle and seeing ourselves as fellow Americans working towards American progression would be a lot more efficient rather than uh, just our people dividing each other. Absolutely. I want to go back to what you were saying about the day-to-day -day microaggressions and implicit bias. Those are actually fundamental tenets of critical race theory and subsequently aspects of Black Lives Matter, since Black Lives Matter comes from critical race theory, as I said before. And these two concepts, especially implicit bias or implicit racism, as they sometimes call it, they allow the activist to see racism everywhere or to make racism normative. They chalk up pretty much every issue to racism. That's why they're called critical race theorists. They seek to criticize 
everything in society and make it racist, make it plagued with racism and change it in their image. Because after all, it's racist and they need to change it. And one of the ways that they call a organization racist is to point out the inequities in that organization or that institution. So what is equity? Well, equity is equality of outcome. Everybody is on a level playing field. So if you have any sort of hierarchical organization in your institution or in your workplace and your job, then you could be slammed with the inequity card and you could be suddenly finding yourself in need, and I put that in quotes, in need of diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. So let's take healthcare for instance. So healthcare is a frequent target of these equity initiatives and it comes out in the form of health equity so if you don't have enough black patients you must be racist you don't have enough black doctors to treat the black patients you're racist too health equity is a monstrous concept health equity literally means and i'm i'm speaking from an actual example here there's a um boston heart hospital that's being built that's going to racially discriminate in providing health care health equity means discrimination when providing health care or making everything in the hospital subjected to a critical analysis of itself that everything must be uprooted and examined and then reformed from the ground up according to critical theory so it can take one of two forms it can you can racially discriminate so that you would have equal numbers of black patients and equal numbers of white patients if a white person came into the heart hospital in need of care they wouldn't get it they would be turned away and rejected in favor of a black person that needed the same care it's monstrous it's 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 almost nazism if you really look at it it's a absolutely terrifying concept now let's just jump back to inequity here inequity is explainable for instance with health equity it's just one of many many explanations as to why a healthcare provider might not be equitable what about the location demographics if you have a hospital in a neighborhood that's 95 percent white then you're gonna have a lot of white patients vice versa if you have a hospital or a healthcare center in a black neighborhood you're gonna have black patients you need to look at every single explanation of the problem before you cry racism discrimination and you try to uproot and subvert that institution especially when the consequences of subversion could mean you're racially discriminating on the basis of race health equity and equity in general implicit bias microaggressions are just ways of attack for critical theorists implicit bias is basically formulated on the concept of a stupid bunk psychological concept where it's neither provable or unprovable that you're racist so these critical activists just assume that you're racist it's it's, it's soviet in logic Anyone who's listening, be wary. Be very, very wary of diversity, equity, and inclusion in initiatives and also health equity. I'll link that Boston Heart Hospital article in the links because read it. It's terrifying. Health equity is just such a terrifying concept. 
it is terrifying. Um, the solution to racism, as like uh, ideal as that sounds, the solution to racism will not be something in of itself that is racist. Like uh, the discrimination of the implicit or explicit discrimination of African Americans in the medical field is not repaired by the conversely discriminatory towards white people hospital or whatever that you're talking about. That's not reparation it's not accommodation in any way proper accommodation would just be like maybe making medical workers more aware of the problems that have gone on in the past i've i'm not really no i'm not here to provide a solution but i'm not here to say that the solution is uh to be just reversely also racist yeah, that, that's a big thing. And you know, you notice something here that they'll come up with with a million problems to Sunday. And yet there's no real solution to it. It's just a problem. And it's up to them to come up with the solution. They're creating a problem that may or may not be there. It's it's basically a power grab, honestly, because they're they're, they're saying, oh, this is racist. We're here to solve it. Give us power so that we can solve it. Establish a diversity, equity, and inclusion board in, in your university, in your organization, so that we can solve that racism problem that you have. Right. It's, it's very much so a power grab. Whether or not uh, the problem is blown out of proportion or not, any policy that they put forward in the name of racial justice will like broadly be accepted because if you oppose it or stand up to it in any way, you're automatically stigmatized as racist and you're part of the problem. Whereas you, you might not be like, you might have a true feeling. You might have done your research and found that like the solution they proposed would not be a, a true solution or a true accommodation or a true reparation in a way. It's, it's all a power grab. It's a vehicle for the people in power to justify the moves that they make under the illusion of progress. I'm not saying that racism is fake. I'm not saying that racism isn't a, hasn't been a problem in America and isn't continuing to be a problem. I'm just saying it's uh, very much blown out of proportion to the American people as we are right now. It was a huge problem in the past, huge problem if any remnant of that remains, if anybody experiences any further oppression, that should be, those should be solved, like at the case where it happens. It's like shutting the barn door after, after the horse has been stolen or however that thing goes. It, you know, like it's, it's already, like the damage has been done, doing further damage to separate the American people will not solve that damage. Yep. Just a quick little note on that. It's, it's actually written in their literature. I, I said his name once before, say it again. Ibram X. Kendi wrote a book called How to Be an Anti-Racist. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. Yeah. In that book, it says the only solution to future discrimination is present discrimination. In a very general sense, they're saying that two wrongs make a right. And as the old adage goes, two wrongs don't make a right. And that's, that's precisely what we're faced with in this whole situation. So to close out this interview, I'm going to ask you one more question. Do you have anything to say to those who are uh, not so sure what, what Black Lives Matter is? Hopefully it's more clear after this interview. But do you have anything to say to those that aren't so sure what, what they are being uh, advocates for? That, that, that might be fooled by the things which the movement says that it is advocating for. Do you have anything to say to those people? Yeah, I, I think you should never let how other people perceive you define your truth. What you've lived, what you've learned through your life, what you've chosen to research, what have, what have you learned just not by choice, like through school, everything, everything in your life experience culminates and brings you your truth. And the moment you start to shift away from what you yourself have learned, whether it be uh, the oppression that you faced or the idea that like you think oppression, racial oppression in America is like completely not there. Like whether you're on either extreme of the spectrum, your truth is important to civil discourse. 
uh, limiting people and uh, like uh, kind of encouraging self-censoring will not, it's a downward spiral. It's going to let this process to uh, continue. So research, whether you are on either side, speak what you believe, but don't, don't regurgitate what you hear. Don't just uh, support something because like everyone on Instagram is supporting it. Use your truth because your truth is your truth for a reason. Um, Bravo. And do your research. Do your research. Learn. Learn as much as you can. Never stop learning. And and share what you learn with the people that care. Absolutely, man. I couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure having you on. You know, I I really admire you, man. I mean, you you were, you know advocating for this and then you, you you stayed true to your own advice and uh, you you really spoke for yourself you know thought for yourself and uh turned away from it and now now you can see what kind of havoc it's wreaking on society obviously i mean from what you said you've got a incredible grasp on it so bravo it was a it, it was an honor ha- having you on the show man yeah, I'm, I'm honored to be here i'm i'm Thank you for having me on and, and talking about taking on such a heavy topic. You know, there's there's a lot to unpack with this and a lot that people don't understand or simply haven't even thought about. And it's it's important to voice that. Absolutely. All right. Well, I uh, I hope to catch you again sometime. Maybe maybe this uh, episode will, will take off real big and I'll have you on the show again. I certainly hope that we can we can talk again sometime yeah man i, I would love to buy anything got you all right take care everybody see you soon and with that i think i'm gonna wrap up the show write a review for this podcast on apple podcasts or wherever you're listening but especially apple podcasts if you want to see evan on the show again let me know what you think i would love to hear your feedback on how i can make the show better and what things I can do to improve. Once again, though, don't forget to support the show if you need a VPN, Virtual Private Network, protect your internet safety. It's so cool that I got a sponsor now. Uh, quick shout out to the people over at Surfshark VPN. Thank you so much. Super cool. Support the show. I personally use Surfshark myself, so I can attest that it is a great product that is much better than all of the other VPNs out there. And with that, thank you so much for listening. Until the next episode, have a more perfect day.